Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is Michelle West. Now, Michelle is a busy attorney in Southern California. She is also an accomplished ultra athlete. She's been all over the world. She's done triathlons, 100-mile runs, long swims, long bike rides, all these things. One of the most interesting things that she's done amidst all of that is an event called the Badwater 135. I'm going to leave it to Michelle to tell you what that is, but she is doing it again And the race is coming up quickly, so she is joining me on the podcast to talk about not just the race, not just the Badwater 135, but a theme that we touch on on this podcast a lot, what human beings are able to do out at the sharp edge, how we get there, how we push through challenges, how we push through obstacles. No one better to talk about that than Michelle. Michelle, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Just to set the stage... For those who may have heard this podcast before, we've talked about the Badwater 135. For those who are joining us for the first time, what is the Badwater 135? So the Badwater 135 is a 135-mile foot race that starts at the Badwater Basin of Death Valley, California, and goes all the way through um, several towns called Furnace Creek and Stovepipe Wells and goes to the Mount Whitney portal, which is about, I think, 8,600 feet high. And, you know, if you continued on, you'd go to the highest peak in the contiguous United States, which is uh, Mount Whitney. So, again, 135 miles, Death Valley in July. The most common question that comes up whenever you discuss a race like this is a sort of incredulous without stopping? So (laughs) do you get to stop? Do you get to sleep? Are there, how does it work? I mean, are we going to start at the start line and just plow through 135 miles? Well, I mean, you'd, you'd like to be able to do that, but the reality is, you know, you're going to push yourself as much as you can, knowing that you've got to hold back a little bit because it's a long race. And, um, you know, there are going to be times where you're going to get exhausted and have to stop maybe for 10 minutes here or there and take a break if it gets really hot or if you start hallucinating after, you know, running for 24 hours. But the goal is to push yourself as long as you can and and go as far as you can without taking breaks. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're going to end up stopping probably so once or twice along the way. So you blew through two words. You blew through heat and you blew through hallucinating. So let's tackle those one at a time. The Badwater 135, it's cachet. It, the, the thing that makes it so insane, it's not just that it's 135 contiguous miles without stopping. It's done in Death Valley, which is one of the hottest spots on the planet in the hottest time of the year in July. So we're going to be seeing temperatures as high as you can imagine. How high is it going to get? How hot is it going to get when you're out there on the course? I think... Uh, it's forecasted to be about 128 degrees on the day that we start, which is Monday, July 10th. And I think that Death Valley has the hottest uh, recorded temperature in North America, I believe. It, maybe it's just the United States, but I think that 
the highest temperatures was 134 degrees. I think that's the record. So, I mean, 128 is not that far off of it for the start date of this race. It's pretty, that's pretty hot. And we just had a heat wave where one of the headlines was temperatures got so high in Phoenix, Arizona, that flights were grounded. And what you're proposing is to go for a run in a climate that's 10 degrees hotter than planes are allowed to fly in. Yeah, it's, it is kind of crazy. And it's, <laughs> it's difficult. I'm not gonna lie. It's extremely difficult. And your body really slows down and you really have to, uh, your body will pull back. I mean, you're going a lot slower, at least most of us, there's some, you know, phenomenal athletes out there like um, Pete Koselnik, maybe he can run through, you know, 128 degrees, but I think most of us have to dial it back a little bit and slow it down. And maybe there's going to be times where we're going to walk some of those really hot, sunny, sunny times. Uh, but you know, there's going to be a few people who can, who can run through it all. It's extremely hot and you're going to try to survive with ice and um, ice uh, bandanas and, you know, people spraying you with, ice water, uh, whatever's allowable to keep you cool and keep you um, moving forward on the course. And keep you from avoiding physiologic collapse. Exactly. Exactly. So have, having been to the bad water, having crewed the bad water a couple times, I can say that when you are outside in heat like that, the best way that I can describe it is like walking into a door. It, it's, it's this, it's stunning. It, you can't fathom what it feels like to go from the inside of a vehicle that's moving or a hotel room or something into heat like that. If you've never done it before, it feels like you're walking into something solid. Yeah, it's true. It's almost like it takes your breath away. Yeah. I mean, it really does. It's like, if you go from indoors to outdoors, it is like, it, I mean, it takes your breath away. It is like walking into, I don't know, like a, a, a hot blanket or something, something solid. Like you said, it is, it's shocking. It really is. And that's why you have to do a lot of uh, heat training. Like I've been trying to do some heat training. Um, I went out into 113 degrees last weekend in Vegas, which is good because they had a heat advisory. So, I mean, that kind of gets you, gets your body a little bit prepared for just how to survive and keep moving forward in that kind of just stunning heat. So this is the interesting thing about it. You've actually done the bad water before you finished the bad water a couple of years ago. And one of the things I think that is the most interesting is for someone who's never done it before that carries one set of challenges for someone who's done it before and knows what to expect and knows what it's going to feel like and knows that it is as people at the bad water like to describe it, a suffer fest, you know what you're getting yourself into when you sign up for the race again. What is that sort of mental journey to say, I've done this before. It was difficult in the extreme. Everything hurt. Everything burns. It's a struggle beyond compare, and it takes a long time to recover from it. Okay, let's go do it again. <laughs> How do you move through that journey? You know, I think that when you're doing it, you really are experiencing all the heat and the, the pain and the fatigue. And that is the temporary part of the race. And everything that remains after, um, you know, after the blisters and the muscle fatigue and the hallucinations and the exhaustion, you know, everything that remains is the great memories of this amazing experience through a gorgeous desert with fantastic people 
And it's just a real adventure. I mean, it's rare that you can get as an adult, I think, a true adventure. You know, you get to go out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of what I call crazy people and just go on this 135 mile journey through this gorgeous, desolate desert, these beautiful mountains. And I mean, it's just, I think it's just fantastic. I mean, to me, it's just, it's just fantastic. The whole experience, everything about it is, is just breathtaking. And it just, it's almost like you become euphoric, I think, when you're, when you're doing it. And then, you know, after it's over, and like I said, the pain disappears, you still have that euphoric feeling you can go back to, which I love. So I I can't wait to do it again. When you think about the stuff that's hard about it, and the, the interesting part of this is sometimes people do in, move into things that they know are going to be difficult. They know are going to be painful. Sometimes they want to, sometimes they don't. Sometimes something goes wrong and they need something done to them to help them recover from something else. Any number of things can happen to us where we know we are moving forward into a cauldron and that it's going to be difficult and that we're going to have to push ourselves beyond what we think we can do to get the job done. When you're kind of filling your mental backpack with the tools that you're going to need, knowing what you're about to face, what are the things that you kind of set in there to say, okay, I know I've got this and I can bring out this idea, this concept, this tool when I'm, when I'm hurting, when I'm tired, when I want to quit and I'm not going to quit. What do I bring out of the bag to keep going in that moment? You know, I think what you do is you just, you never do the math. I always say like, you never do the math. You never think how slow you're moving forward what time you're going to finish, how little sleep you've gotten, you know, in terms of minutes or hours. I think you just have to completely clear your head and forget about time and dates and distances and just keep going forward no matter what, like step by step, you know, as just constant, relentless forward motion at all times and just that's it. It's really that simple. You can't think about, oh, how long it's going to take you and how long it'll take you to recover afterwards. You really have to be in the moment and be present and just know that you're, you just have to take one step and then the next step and just keep moving forward. That's the common thread. When I've spoken with people who've done these amazing things and tried to extrapolate how we can apply this to our own lives or to a circumstance that we are facing. That's the common theme that comes up is this sort of idea of mindfulness and being in the moment. And we move past it. We say it like it, that in its, in and of itself is easy to do. And it's not, you know, we live lives where we're immersed in phones and stimuli and, you know, input and output. There's so much going on and our brains rev at such a high level to suddenly switch and be able to say, I'm going to focus just on one foot in front of the other. That is, a, I mean, that's a principle of, you know, like a transcendental meditation or something. That's not an easy thing to execute. No, you're right. And you know, that the, one of the, my favorite things about this race is, you know, you're in the middle of death Valley and you really don't have service. At least I don't remember having cell service. You really can check out of your busy life. You really can check out and just be, and just exist 
and just move forward and just feel your body and not worry about, you know, what's happening at work or who's trying to call you or looking at your phone. I mean, there's something so fantastic about just being with your body and your mind and your thoughts in the middle of the desert and just feeling and experiencing it and not having your mind, uh, you know, wander to your cell phone and checking your emails. I mean, it is a true uh, break from your, the modern world. It's a true break from your, from your job and your obligations. You just have one goal and that's just moving ahead, moving through this desert and making your way to the, to the finish line. It's a real luxury. It's a real luxury to be able to just be so present and just experience it all. And so, so for you, you're able to just disconnect. You're able to say phone off. I'm, 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 that's it. And then you are able to switch into that level of mindfulness that you need to carry you through, through the challenges of the bad water. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely set it up so that I have nothing on my calendar. I definitely take care of everything at the office. Everybody knows I'm doing this event. I've been raising money for it for, uh, I don't know, maybe over a month now. And, you know, everybody knows I'm going to be out there doing it and I'm not available. <laughs> People may follow it. I think they can follow it um, through the, um, the website and they like to follow me. I've heard from doing it last time. They really enjoy watching the progress. But for me, I am just there with myself, my body, my thoughts and my team. And, and that's it. You know, you really, it's just all about you and your experience and, and just moving forward. One of the interesting things as you're moving forward that I always found so striking is that the runners generally are people who are high achievers, who are engaged in any number of different professions. They're not isolated people. But in doing this race, they have to isolate themselves in a way. They have to be very selfish. You have to be very selfish. You can't worry about how your crew of four is doing. You have to, They have to be worrying about you. Is it difficult to make yourself a priority for three or four days while you're getting ready afterwards and then the, you know, 36 hours or 30 hours or 28 hours that you're actually on the road. Is it difficult to say, you know what? I am the priority and I cannot compromise that. I have to put myself ahead of other people if I'm going to finish this race. You know, it's funny you say that because I actually think for my personality, I have a really hard time doing that. So I always try to plan ahead and get everything hopefully as ready for the crew as possible. Cause I actually can't just shut off and think about myself. I'm always thinking about the crew. Is the crew having fun? Do they have enough food? Do they have enough water? I mean, I, I really can't shut it off. I, I think it makes me happier and able to do a better job. If I realize that, wow, these people are out there for me. They've taken time off work. They're, you know, out there suffering in the heat. They're providing me all this you know, water and ice and, you know, they're going without sleep to help me on my journey. And so I really, I really do always think about the crew and I hope that I, you know, have made it as comfortable and fun for them as possible. I really don't want to be here about these, some runners who are, you know, they get really angry and they're very worried about their time. 
but I, I try not to be one of those people. I just don't think it's my nature. And I, I think of it as a, it really is a team. It's a team effort. You cannot do this alone. There's no way I could go out and do this even for an over an hour by myself. I mean, you really need your crew. They have to be there. And, and it's a, it is a lot of hard work and they're out there in the middle of nowhere. They leave their families, they leave their jobs and uh, they put a lot of time and effort into it. So I mean, I, it is hard for me to be selfish and think about myself, and I and I really do try to think of us as a team, and I really do try to set it up for the crew so that we are a team. And when we've crossed, when I crossed the finish line, we all crossed as a team, holding hands, hand in hand, and run through that that tape. Which, I mean, that's the reality. You cannot do this on your own. This is a team. This is a team event. It's it's interesting to hear you say that because having crewed it twice that idea of we want to make ourselves into the highest performing team that we can to serve our runner so that they can be successful. For me, that was the best part. It's the idea of I am going to put the runner above all else. I'm going to put the team next. How is the rest of the team doing? And then I'm third. And, you know, for me as a physician, to be totally honest, the way I was mentored and brought up as I started my career after residency, it was drummed into us. The patient is first, the team is second, and you're third. So you have to make sure that you're always putting yourself third in line when there's a challenge. So, you know, if we take that to the bad water, right? The runner is the, the de facto patient. And then you've got a team. You've got your crew to worry about and look after. And then you think about yourself. And when you do that, when you say, all right, we have, we have a, a leading light that we have to make sure is burning and is able to keep burning. Then we have to look around and be like, you know what? If I'm hot, the person next to me is hotter. I'm going to cool them down. I'm going to give them a break. I'm going to carry the food. I'm going to do whatever it is so that they can catch a break when we're thinking about it that way. And then finally, okay, I need to grab a bite to eat. I, I'm going to, I'm going to take a minute and make sure everyone's good to go. And then I'm going to get myself squared away. When you have that routine dialed in, I think that that's a cornerstone for any high performing team. Yeah. And I think you're right. And, and you know, you were, you were really good at that as the, uh, crew captain and like a crew mate uh, when we did it before, because you really do care about other people. And it really uh, raises the overall performance of, of the team. I think it's, I think it's great. Everybody performs better when you're looking out for each other, like you described. And, and I think it's, uh, it just makes the whole experience better and, and the whole team performs better and has a, uh, just a much more, much more enjoyable time. And of course, as the runner, you know, you have to, you have to make sure you do the best you can to finish. That's the whole point. That's the whole reason you're out there. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, of course you do have to be selfish. You do have to say, I've got to finish this. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? You know, I mean, everybody's worked so hard to get out there and you really do want to finish. You really do want to succeed. You know, you're driven to do it and definitely want to succeed. It's interesting that you bring that up because, the attrition rate at the Badwater is not that high. People always think, well, how does anybody finish? There can only be one or two. The, it's it's a majority of runners finish the Badwater every year. Yeah, you're right. And it's it's different than a lot of 100 milers that I've done because I think the DNF rate is, is a lot higher on some of the 100-mile races. You know, when you're out there in the middle of, I mean, basically nowhere and you're in those very difficult conditions. You know, you've put a lot of effort and time into getting yourself out there. 
not only qualifying for the event, training for the event, uh, assembling your crew, assembling all your uh, everything that you need to survive the race, uh, your equipment, your van, et cetera. I mean, you really, you really are motivated to continue on and not give up. I mean, it's a, it's such a, it's such a big deal. It's such a difficult task. You really take it seriously. You know that it's, you know, it's not something you can just sign up for every year. It's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult task and you, you definitely want to finish. You're not going to quit. If, if, if at all possible, you're going to keep going. And you're right. These people are driven and they will just push ahead under the most extreme of, of conditions. When, when you've done it, you've done this race before and having been there, I know there were low points. We, we all, you know, you're going to have low points doing something like that. When you have those low points, how do you keep them from becoming overwhelming? You know, they're going to happen. You know, you're not going to feel mint condition for 135 miles across the Badwater Basin and Death Valley. You know, they're going to happen. How do you keep them from becoming something where the wave hits you and it doesn't overwhelm you and it doesn't make you say, you know what? I'm outside my limit and I've got to stop where you say I'm hurting. I'm uncomfortable. I'm sad. I'm hungry. I'm nauseated, whatever it may be, but it's not going to get me to stop. What, what do you reach for when you know it's coming and you know, the pain's coming, but you know that you, you're, as you say, you're not going to stop. You know, honestly, looking back at the last time I did it, when I really had those low points, I have to credit the crew. Um, because you really do feel badly sometimes. I mean, you really feel like you can't go on. Every and- single person that does the bad water has stretches where they feel awful. Even the people who won. I mean, I asked them and they said, no, there's, t- you want to stop. You want to be anywhere, but here. And you right. want to, you want to get home. You want to get it, but, but they don't stop. No. And it's like, it really was the crew last time. I mean, I remember every time I had a really dark point, like about halfway through the race, it was very hot in Panama Springs. And I mean, every step was torture. It felt like the ground was, was lava. I mean, my legs were burning. My head was burning. I could barely move forward. There was not enough water to quench my thirst. There wasn't enough ice to cool me down. It was miserable, quite frankly. And I was completely out of it. But, you know, we went to, you know, we, we got to a point where we could, um, you know, take a rest, lay down for five minutes. And the crew really, you know, made me get up when I was, when it was time to get up, they didn't let me, you know, lay down too long. They covered me with um, ice towels to cool my body temperature down. They had food ready for me. They had new clothes ready for me, new shoes ready for me. They basically just, you know, got me together got my head in the right place, took care of me and, and sent me on my way. I mean, it really, the crew is so critical in distracting you from feeling sorry for yourself, not allowing you to dilly dally and to just focusing you on your goal because mentally the hardest part of the race is mental. Absolutely. It's hard because your body's exhausted and you at some point just don't feel like continuing on. It doesn't make sense. You know, it really doesn't make sense. But when the crew is there to push you, push you, distract you when you're getting down and also to remind you why you're there and that you want to keep going, it really helps you to succeed. You just, you cannot do it without the crew. 
as I'm listening to you talk about you know leaning on other people in those difficult moments when you know they're coming, I mean, I think about the work that that we do in the hospital. You know, you'll you'll be talking to people and telling them what's going on, what we found, what we need to do, and you'll see their eyes are just shifting left and right, and that they're you can see panic coming. And in those moments when there's people there or you remind them like this is this is the part where you ask for help. This is the part where you don't do it all yourself. This is the part where you do lean on other people. That in and of itself can be a challenge to say, I need help right now. Is that a difficulty for you to say, you know what? I'm independent 99% of the year, but on the couple days I'm doing the bad water, I'm going to need to ask for help and I'm going to need to ask for help a lot. Yeah, it it is hard for somebody with my personality, like you said, who, you know, is very independent. But I remember asking for help because you you just have to have it. You're just so you're so spent. You're so exhausted. You know, there are times where you're so hot. You need somebody to spray you with ice. You're just you know, you're just uh, with ice water. You're just dying. You're so exhausted. So you just have to learn how to ask for help. It is hard. But at some point, you're going to need the help so much. You'll just do it. So it's not even something that you think about. It's just in that moment, it's almost like instinct. Hey, <laughs> I'm reaching out a hand. Put something cold in it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's survival. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, you're like, I need help. I'm I'm dying. You know, I'll never forget in Panama Springs, that was the, the hardest part. I was so hot. And that I just. That was brutal. <laughs> that was, was absolutely asking, like, I need to be sprayed nonstop because yeah. I was on fire. I mean. Yeah. My body was just, my mind was shutting down. My, my stomach was, was out of sorts. I mean, it really was tough. That was a real challenge. Every step was brutal. That was the hardest part for me. It's so interesting that you bring that up because when you say that was the hardest part, I remember one of the other crew members, your brother carrying from the vehicle into the room so we could get you cooled down. Cause we knew, I mean, you were teetering. It was, it was the hottest part of the day. That stretch of road is a skillet. It, it, there's just no other way to describe it. It's a skillet. It's exposed. It's you roast. And he had our big bags of ice two. I think it was two in each arm, like over his shoulder running into the room. <laughs> you can't do that on a good day to do that at the bad water. When, I mean, we're, you know, he's hot too. running with those bags of ice. It's like, man, this just brings something out of people where you just put people in extraordinary circumstances and they'll do extraordinary things. No, it's so true. That is so true. That's what's so phenomenal about it. I love the whole team aspect of it. It's so exciting. It's so much fun. And it's amazing to see people really step it up and they really, work for the good of the team and they really look out for each other. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. So when you think about having done it before, again, there's all of those moments of euphoria. Some of them are moments of euphoria that happen because you're hallucinating at night or the euphoria of finishing. Do you remember all of those things? Do they stick with you or are they sort of fleeting things and then something else takes their place? No, they stick with me. They stick with me. I have, I mean, I remember, um, you know, the first 42 miles of the first year that I ran it and it was awesome. There were some low points, but there were some really high points. And I have to say, I mean, I remember how, how amazing I felt. It was euphoric and I, it's probably one of the top five feelings of my life and I can still feel it. I remember the full moon was gorgeous. I remember 
um, how great I felt, even at like mile 35, I felt like I was running, like I could run forever. Uh, the music was great. I remember singing. I love singing when I run. It was just, it was so much fun. And I still can go back to that and really get that feeling all the time. I can feel it right now. And there were several points because the music makes it a lot of fun too. And when you feel good and you have good music, it really can make the whole experience uh, kind of magical and a powerful memory. So you can always draw on that. As you're moving along, you're never really alone insofar as there's other runners and crews, usually within shouting distance. You're kind of passing people. They're passing you. There's a lot of that sort of back and forth. There's a camaraderie there where you know that, you know, there's a lot of fist bumps. There's a lot of cheering. All the people that drive by, they're clapping it up. They're cheering for you as well. Is that... Is it sort of a f- true enthusiasm, do you think? Or do you think it's somewhere something where people are just trying to go through the motions to make people feel supported? Oh, I think it's real. Yeah. I think it's true. Yeah. I think it's 100% real. I feel it. I know I feel it for other people. And I certainly feel it when they cheer for me. And it's amazing what that does to you. It gives you a real energy boost. It yeah. really lifts your spirits. And it really propels you forward. So I think it's real. I know I certainly feel it. I mean, I, I just feel it in my heart and feel it in my, every time I see somebody who's struggling and succeeding and continuing on and moving forward and, and their crew as well. I mean, it's it's such an epic adventure and it's so difficult and it's it's phenomenal. So I, I think it's real. I love it. I, I would agree um, with you. There's people from all over the world that come to death Valley to check out the heat. They're, I mean, they're tourists that kind of seek out the sun. They go bonkers for this. I mean, they're clapping, they're cheering, they're honking their horn. They're driving the, cause you're right on the road. You're right on the road that takes you through the, through death Valley. And it, it, there's this amazing thing where people are seeing what's happening. They learn about it and they just go bonkers for it. Yeah, it's true. It's so fun. And they, they, they think it's so crazy and so wild and weird and and amazing at the same time. It's so much fun. There's an interesting juxtaposition with this race where you have to get through this like grotesque six pack of things that suck, hot, burn, itching, hungry, nausea, fatigue. I mean, it's this really disgusting mix of things that make us feel terrible that you have to get through. But then on the other side of it, is this just kind of perfect mix of emotions and feelings that you won't get without that kind of nasty cocktail beforehand? Yeah, it's so true. It's just like everything. It seems like everything really amazing in life. You have to go through some difficult times to get there. You know, there's some hard work involved. There's some, you know, lack of sleep. There's some giving up other things. There's, there's some suffering involved to get your goal, to get your reward. And this is no different. There's a lot of suffering, but the reward is huge. I mean, I remember finishing and thinking, honestly, I was a little disappointed that it was over as fast as it was. I really wanted it to keep going. I was having such a good time. It was such a an amazing way to spend time with people. And just, I mean, walking through and running through this desert. I mean, I wish that I, I wished it would have taken a little bit longer. <laughs> it's I funny know that you crazy. say that because I, I remember at the time we all were like, 
that's ridiculous. But you know what? If you kept going, I mean, we'd roll out. Like, of course, we're not going to leave you alone. Like, if, if we have to keep going, we'll keep going. It just it captures that. And you just sort of say, there's a lot of things that I can leave behind, but I'm not leaving my runner behind. That's not going to happen. We can't. You, if you If you kept going, we're going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, it was so much fun. I just, it, it was such a fun time. And I don't know if, you know, I'm sure every time is going to be a different, unique experience, but you know what a wild, crazy, fun thing to do to be able yeah. to have this body, this body that works, this body that like biomechanically you can, you know, move forward and your legs work and your feet work and you can, you know, cross this desert, this unbelievably hot like you said like it's a skillet areas and just cross this desert with your own power and your own mind it's amazing and then I always think about my clients who you know I represent a lot of a lot of people who have been catastrophically injured you know they're amputees they're um, in wheelchairs they're paraplegics quadriplegics you know they can't do this they certainly a lot of them would love to be able to participate in some events like this. So I always think how lucky I am to have this, to have my body that allows me to, you know, do these kind of events, these physically challenging events um, and just really, uh, I don't know, just see what the human body can do. I feel so lucky and I think about all the people who probably would love to do something like this um, and, and can't do it. Like I have a sister who has rheumatoid arthritis. She, you know, she would never be able to do something like this. And she loves listening to how fantastic the events are. She loves following the events. She loves thinking about how great it would be to, you know, run all these miles through the desert. It's so it's a lot of fun. I always think about everybody who can't do the things that I'm lucky enough to do because I have this strong, healthy body. And as you're now less than two weeks away from the start line, you know, this is a test you can't cram for, you know, this takes, this is months and years of readying yourself mentally and physically. I mean, at this point, two weeks away, I mean, you must feel like a superhero. You must feel like, man, I can do anything. Your uh, nutrition is optimized. Your, your temperature training is done. I mean, you've banked all these training hours. It must, you must be just buzzing to get started. Well, you know, you're always nervous. I will yeah. say you always feel like, oh, I haven't done enough training. I haven't done enough mileage. I haven't gotten enough heat training. You know, I mean, you do the best you can. Um, and it's tough. I will say, I think, I would think most people who go to the start line are scared. That's the truth. Because it's such a difficult event and you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, the most amazing people and the best of the best have probably had to quit DNF races and it happens. So it is scary. I mean, of course, you always, you know, you're optimistic and you do what you can to get ready. But you also know, you know, it's such a difficult, it's such a difficult event. It's, and you don't know how your body is going to react. You prepare it the best you can and you hope that it, you know, functions the way you want it to function and you can keep moving forward. And that's my hope, but you just never know, you know, it's, it's, it's such a tough event. I mean, I've definitely DNF'd races before. I, I certainly wouldn't want that to happen here, but it happens. It happens to the best of us. So I, I'm ready to go. I want to do it. I'm excited, you know, but there's always an element of fear. You have the phrase though, that is, is, 
the cornerstone of what you're able to do. It's, and you mentioned it before it's, it's relentless forward motion. And I learned that from you. A lot of us learned it from you. And a lot of us have actually kept that and brought it into our own lives to say, you know what? Relentless forward motion. Do not stop. I'm not broken. I'm okay. I'm hurting, but do not stop. And you're going to have that with you when you roll out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, you can use that in any aspect of your life. I mean, whether it's difficult work situations, a difficult athletic event like this, difficult personal situations, it really works. Relentless forward motion, never stop, never give up, keep moving forward. I mean, it's, it's, that's it. That's it. Relentless forward motion. Relentless forward motion. You've primed the pumps. People are going to want to know how to follow this race so they can go to the Badwater website to follow the race, correct? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. And which charity are you going to be supporting? Which charity are you running for? So what I'm doing is I'm raising money for Challenged Athletes Foundation, which is uh, an organization that provides um, sporting equipment and um, training and uh, athletic activities for individuals who have uh, all types of um, special needs. And one of my clients actually had lost a leg in a a vehicle collision, and he had a pretty poor prosthetic that he had gotten through his mediocre insurance. And he had had trouble playing with his son. He kept falling over. He couldn't get up. And I remember telling him to contact Challenge Athletes and get a a running leg to see if he could qualify. You know, you can write a grant and get a running leg. And he did that. And he wrote the grant. He got the leg and it changed his life. He now participates in a lot of athletic events. He participates with his whole family. Um, so it's a great organization. It really helps people stay involved in sports. It gives them a lot of, um, you know, confidence and, uh, it's, I just think it's a great organization. And so for every dollar I raise for challenged athletes, which I'm, I'm raising money through donations from others, I'm going to match every dollar to another charity that I really am a fan of, St. Jude's uh, Children's Research Hospital. So right now I've raised about $8,700 for challenge athletes, and I'm going to match that every dollar for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. So those are the charities I'm supporting on this run. That's just fantastic. We're going to be looking forward to seeing the start line. We're going to know that you have to go dark for a while. And so the race will, will give us the information we need. And we're all going to be looking forward to the phone call to say, I did it. I'm at the top and I'm done. So good luck. And we'll see you when you're finished. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to explore the space. Visit us on our website, explore the space And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.